0: Well good morning, in case I haven't met you yet, my name's Garrett, I'm the lead pastor here at uh, Delray Baptist Church, so glad to have you with us this Sunday morning, and now as we turn uh, to, to God's word, we come with great expectation that he will, he will move, um, we're in a little uh, series in the, the book of Proverbs, so we did one last week, one this week, and then we'll be in Proverbs 31 next week and then uh, we'll be beginning a series in the book of Leviticus so if you haven't read Leviticus in a while it'd be a good time to start reading so you can be ready for that I'm going to go ahead and uh, let's go before the Lord once more and ask for his help in this time as we come before his word would you join me in prayer Father this morning as we come to you we come in need of wisdom I, as the one who's supposed to communicate your word to your people, I I feel what Solomon said when he was asked what one thing he could have, and he asked for wisdom of how to shepherd your people. So, Father, I pray that you would supply wisdom for me to give to your people this morning. And, Father, we as a people who come and sit under your word, we come um, expectantly because your word promises us in the book of James, that if we lack wisdom, that we should ask you, who gives generously and without reproach, and it will be given. So we come this morning in the name of Christ, and we plead that you, the all-wise God, would give us wisdom. And we pray that this wisdom from above, that your word says, is pure and peaceable and gentle open to reason, and full of mercy and good fruits and impartial and sincere. You would produce that kind of posture in us, one that is wise according to your word. Father, we are so prone to listening to other voices, supposed voices of wisdom that cry out for our attention, our devotion and our affections. We pray that this morning you might mature us in discernment, that we might learn to hear in the voice of the Good Shepherd. Oh, Father, might you fill us with the Holy Spirit that we might be able to, to grow up into the maturity of Christ. And we pray this in his name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Well, growing up, one of, the, uh, one of the things we did as a family is we would read together from time to time. And one of my favorite kind of books were these books called choose your own adventure stories. I'm not sure if any of you ever had the joy of reading those, but basically the way it works is you start reading this little story, and then you come to a place in the story where if you want to make one decision, you turn to page 39. And if you want to make another decision, you turn to page 24. And whenever you come to that, you get to say, ooh, what are we going to do here? And then you make your decision, and you go down that path, and you see how it turns out for better or for worse. And if you don't like how it goes, then you can kind of just rewind, and let's try it the other way. And you get to read and uh, for me, I just, I loved that kind of story as, as a child. And there was really no consequence with the decision you made. It was just whether it turned out the way you were hoping or not. But as we grow up in life, we find ourselves in, in a similar type of situation where we are every single day and every single way, we are faced with all sorts of different decisions that we have to make. The problem is that we... Once we go down that road, we don't get to go back and undo that. And, and because of that, what we need is we need wisdom in making these kinds of decisions. When we're faced with, with how we're going to respond or react to somebody at work or to a family member or, um, you know, to how we're going to handle money or time or a relationship or conflict, what we need is not just kind of our best guess or what seems good to everybody else around us, but what is we need that very wisdom from above that we just heard about. We need God to tell us how to make decisions, to lead us according to His, His word. Because as we walk through life, there are there's no do-overs. And the older we get, we find that the more our decisions have very real and lasting consequences. And that is why we need wisdom. And that is why we're going to the book of Proverbs, chapter nine. So I ask if you have your Bible turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter nine, will be on page five thirty three in the Bibles that are provided in front of you there. If you didn't you didn't bring a Bible with you, I encourage you to take that one with you. It's a gift from us to you. Page five hundred thirty three. Proverbs chapter nine. Now, we said last week, the book of Proverbs is a, it's a book of Holy, Holy Spirit-inspired wisdom, given mostly through a king named King Solomon, all right? Now, a proverb is simply a statement that is generally true about life. It's not the same as a prophecy or a promise, but it's a statement of truth that proves generally true through, throughout life, and the, the aim of the book of proverbs is to make foolish people wise now a wise person according to the book of proverbs and throughout the scriptures is they're characterized as as hearing truth receiving truth being corrected by truth and then applying that truth and having a heart that desires that that's the mark of a a wise person Contrasted with the, the foolish person. A foolish person is someone who, who will hear truth but rejects it, will scoff at it even, and then decides listen, I'm going to just do what I want to do, really. I'm going to live however I want, regardless of what ultimately God's word says. And in the book of Proverbs, what Solomon is doing here is he wants his sons to be wise. He wants them to be marked with a life of wisdom, not a life of, of folly. So in the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, which is the first major section of the book, what Solomon is doing is he's, he's talking to his sons. 21 times the word sons shows up. So fathers, this is kind of a discipleship manual for, for your, your children. That's what it's, it's aimed to be. And he, what he's doing is he's, he's instructing his sons how to live wisely in God's world. And as we come to chapter 9, which is the conclusion of this first major section, what we're going to encounter here are two voices, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And these two women represent two worldviews, one that is wise, that leads to life, and the other that is foolish and leads to death. The question for Solomon's sons and for us is to whom will you listen and which way will you walk? Keep that in mind as we read Proverbs chapter 9 verses 1 through 18. Follow along with me. Wisdom has built her house and she has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine and she has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. Verse 7. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied and your years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Verse 13. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. She owes the grave. Now, before we get into these, looking at what we learn about Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly, I want us to, we need to ask a really important question. That is, why does Solomon talk this way? Why is, why is he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, lay things out like this with Lady Wisdom and, and, and Lady Folly? And again, we're reminded that he is speaking to his his sons. And what he wants to do as a father is he wants to connect with them at a heart level. He wants them to hear these truths that he has for them that are so important that they're going to they're going to protect them from all the pains of life as it were. So what he does is he uses the image of a woman to tap into their hearts. Because in general young men are drawn to women. I mean, you ever been around a young, young guy? They just get weird when a girl gets around I mean, they, just, they will do whatever they need to do to get her attention. Their, their hearts go after her, pursue them, and hopefully to take them as a wife and to live with them. And what Solomon is doing as a wise father is he is tapping into that. It's as if he was saying, son, I want us to think about about God's wisdom and about... S- Sin's foolishness. And I want you to think about it like this. Two women are going to approach you. Both of them are beautiful. Both of them are very attractive at first. And they're both very compelling. And they both, they both call to you. They both invite you. And they both make you promises. Son, you're going to give your heart to one of them. Listen to my words. One is a treasure, but the other one is a trap. Be wise, my son. Hear my words. Now, I also think it's instructive with the way that this is lined out here in, in Proverbs 9. The first section, it's three paragraphs. Okay, they're, they're, they're lined out with equal verses. The first one is Lady Wisdom. The la- that's verses 1 through 6 there. The last one is Lady Folly, verses 13 through 18. And stuck right in the middle is the listener, verses 7 through, uh, 7 through 12. So you have Lady Folly on one side, Lady Wisdom on the other, and the listener in, in between. And Solomon is saying, son, be wise. One of them is going to tell you what you want to hear. And one of them is going to tell you what you need to hear. And how you respond to them will affect every aspect of your life. Because one leads to joy and one to destruction. And as we read these and and take a look here at Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly, we need to remember that also that, that God the Father is speaking to His children this morning through His Word, saying the same exact thing. There is wisdom from above and wisdom from below. We must discern who we will listen to. Let's look first at Lady Wisdom here. Lady Wisdom. Now, in verses 1 through 6, she is presented as an elegant woman. She's classy. She's hardworking. She's honest. She speaks words that are, that are trustworthy. And she's, she's a hard worker. Look at verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. Lady Wisdom has been, she's been hard at work here. She's, she is diligent. The word wisdom there in verse 1, it's actually plural in the Hebrew, the original language there. Wisdoms. Not implying that there's multiple wisdoms that we get to choose from, but rather it's, 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 a, it's a term called the, the, the plurality of, of, of majesties. It's, it's a way to speak about, like Ephesians 1.10 speaks of the manifold wisdom of God. It's talking about wisdom in all its perfections, kind of like holding up a diamond and not just seeing the front of it, but but turning it so you can see every cut and every glimmer. That's how it's presented here, wisdom and its beauty and its splendor. Well, what Lady Wisdom has done is she has built her house. She needs a house that's going to be big enough for all of her guests. She's going to build her own because there's no place that can hold what she's got for all of them. And this has not been an easy task. You notice there the word hewn. It means to cut with an axe. So she has been laboring here. Also, you'll notice that this house has these seven pillars. Pillars are a a picture of of stability and and strength. Also of wealth. Most houses didn't have pillars here. But when you've got a house that has pillars, it shows that there's, there's, there's wealth there. And that is her house. The number seven throughout, throughout the Bible is a, a number that represents perfection. Lady Wisdom here is, is no sluggard. She is diligent and industrious and hospitable. She's producing a house that is strong, right? And it's filled with delight. Look again at verse 2. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has gone all out for this. This is there's no ramen noodle night at Lady Wisdom's house, all right? She is she is bringing she's bringing it. This is a spread she's laying out for everybody. She has slaughtered her beasts. That's that's hard work. That's costly. On the way, I was talking with John Henderson, they were getting ready to move up here, and he was talking about how they had just slaughtered a beast, Um, one of their, their cows. I was thinking, man, I'm about to go to Costco. Like, that's a lot easier than going out and just getting a cow and slaughtering and bringing it. And they did bring it. So, praise God, maybe we can all share in that. But it's hard work, and it's costly. This is not a cheap meal she's putting together. Notice also here, she's mixed her wine. Baptist friends, that's wine wine. Okay, that's legit wine there. And when it says she's mixed it, doesn't mean she's diluted it with water. Rather, it means she's added spices to enhance it. This is the good stuff she's breaking out. This meal here is made with love. It's made with with generosity. And it's in honor of all who are going to be coming. She wants people to come. She's made this meal. It is good. So, verse 3, she has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. She sends out messengers. Lady Wisdom is crying out through them. And notice where she does it from? From the highest place. So that more can hear and more can come in. And what's her message? Verse 4, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come and eat of my bread. Drink of the wine I have mixed. It's a message of joy. Turn in here. Come and get you some. This is good stuff. I have made food and I have wine for you. Draw near and delight. This feast that is laid out here by Lady Wisdom is not to just hear and to see, but it's to experience and to savor. This is all, again, characteristic of God's wisdom. God's wisdom is good. It is not aimed at at killing joy, but it is the source of joy. It's life-giving. God is not some prude who sits in the heavens, just thinks how to make life miserable. That's not him at all. He is a good God who delights in giving good gifts to his children that they might know him and delight in all of his provisions. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden, when God made He made the whole world. He said to Adam and Eve, It's all yours. Eat it all. Except for one. One thing that's dangerous for you. It will test your love for me. But it's all yours. It's how God works. It's how his wisdom is. Now who should receive this? And who's he aiming at here? Who's she aiming at, as it were, with lady wisdom? Whoever is simple, whoever lacks sense. This is the the inexperienced, the naive, the easily influenced. Which, oftentimes, I think we think of that as being a bad thing. This is more of someone who's not made up their mind yet. Someone who's not unteachable, or someone who is teachable. Not someone who's hardened against hearing and learning. Someone who's not a know-it-all yet. And notice here the requirement to feast at this banquet is that you must confess that you are a fool. You've got to say, "I, yo, I need some help. I, I don't, I don't have all the answers. I need to be instructed. I need to be guided." And not only recognizing that, but there must be a willingness to change, to repent. Notice there, turn in here, leave your simple and sinful ways. Walk in the way of insight. She's calling them away from what they've been doing. The path that everybody else is on. That's what Lady Wisdom is saying. And she mentions here walking in the way of of insight. What does that mean? Well, if you look down at verse, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. What Solomon's doing here for his sons, and through God's mercy in preserving this for us us this morning, is he's lifting our, our eyes to the throne of heaven and instructing us. Wisdom begins, he says, when you realize God is God and you are not that's where wisdom begins. You cannot be wise according to the maker of the universe unless you realize that this is not your universe. Realizing that God is the maker and sustainer of all things. And insight flows from knowing what God is like and what pleases Him. And that's, that's the same way actually he started this whole section. Back in chapter 1, verse 7, he begins with a, a famous verse, A famous word, a famous proverb, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do you fear the Lord? You know what I mean when I say fear the Lord? We were recently on a a trip to the beach. Went down for a week of vacation and was trying to explain to my son, who's getting very bold about running out into the ocean, about what it means, how to relate to the ocean. And we sat down there for a moment. We talked about how the ocean is amazing. It's amazing. I mean, look at it, all its colors and its beauty and its depth. It's so deep, deeper than we can even imagine. It's so vast. It's huge. It's bigger than us. And at the same time, it's inviting. Its, it's waves are, well, at least on this day, we're, we're calm and inviting. It said, come, play, enjoy, see my beauty, delight, adore in it. But there was also a very strong undertow that week. That had to explain to him about, about the what it means to fear and to respect the ocean. That we can come and enjoy, but at the same time, there's a reverence that that causes us to. To lay low as it were. That is the picture of what it means to to fear the Lord. That God is good and He is glorious and He is wise. And He says, come, come and see. But as you come, we come with a posture that realizes that He is holy and set apart and there is none like Him. And what that ought to do is produce in us a humility. Humility. A reverence, a worshipfulness that cries out, Holy, holy, holy. He says, You are a fool until you get that. That God is God and you are not, and this is His world. And we need to relate to this world and everything in it, and our Maker and one another in light of the wisdom that comes from above. This, by the way, is, is why we read and we study the Bible. This is why Sunday mornings, a large chunk of our time, is centered around opening God's Word and talking about it because we recognize everybody, well, those who are Christians in this room, what we all have in common is that we all recognize we're fools. That apart from Christ, we have nothing. We'll do nothing but ruin our lives. And we need wisdom, a good God who gives it. We're to receive and trust and obey God's wisdom. And there is great benefit that comes with that. Verse 11, by me, meaning lady wisdom, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. Biblical wisdom calls you to consider the end of your actions. And here, she says, it is life-giving. And again, this is a proverb, a principle that is normally true. Now, the irony in all of this is pretty thick, if you're familiar with the author of the book of Proverbs. Again, Solomon is the one who is speaking here. He he was the wisest man in Old Testament history, but he wrecked his life because why? Because he didn't apply his own wisdom. He He didn't apply the very wisdom that he laid out. He was the wisest man. He knew more than any, probably all of us put together. Dude was off the charts, brilliant. He knew everything, as it were. Not everything, God knows everything. He knew a lot. He was very wise. Said to be the wisest man who's ever lived before Christ. Which I'm not sure about you, but that can be a little bit depressing. When you think about it, this guy, knew so much and still wrecked his life. Well, what it ought to do is it all created in us an awareness that neither Solomon nor Solomon's wisdom is our ultimate hope? But rather there is another who's got to come who's greater. In Matthew twelve, forty two, Jesus said, Someone greater than Solomon is here, speaking of himself. You see, as we read Proverbs, we know that the Holy Spirit speaking through Solomon to his sons. But for us, we also now read it in light, Proverbs, and your whole Old Testament, we read in light of what Jesus has, has done. You see, Solomon wrote the Proverbs, but Jesus lived out and fulfilled the Proverbs. Jesus himself is the manifestation of, of wisdom. So as a Christian, and we come here to Proverbs chapter 9, we read him as the one who is behind wisdom. He's the one that wisdom is, is pointing to, ultimately. We heard it this morning when Shai read 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 24, that Jesus is the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 24, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then later in that same chapter, Jesus became to us the wisdom from God. You see, wisdom doesn't originate with, with people, with humans. Rather, Jesus himself is wisdom. And he showed that in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. And this same Jesus, who is, who is the incarnation of wisdom, he has, he's built a house, right? He's built a house with, with strength and stability called the church. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 16. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is He's built a house, the church, made up of people whom he has called out of foolishness into the wisdom of God. And he is building that house even now, which is even a foretaste of a greater house. John 14, 3, Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you, and I will come again and take you to myself, and where I am you may be also. You see, just as Lady Wisdom builds a house and is calling guests to come in and to enjoy, so Christ is building his house and calling guests to come in and enjoy. And in this house, Jesus had prepared a feast, a feast for us to come. And there's also, there's bread and there's wine there. John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see, the feast of wisdom ultimately is Christ himself. He is the incarnation of wisdom, the one that by faith we trust in and receive, as it were, the wisdom of God. Jesus calls us to the banquet that we are to receive by faith. And here at the the end of our Our time together this morning, Shia is going to be leading us in the Lord's Supper. A a picture, once again, a tangible reminder of the wisdom of God that came down to us. In which we, we do this in remembrance of Him, of Jesus. And it says that we do that until He comes. Because Jesus says, in the kingdom of God, the final installment of it, when we're with Him forever... He says that he will eat and he will drink with us at the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's, there's an invitation this morning. Come, partake of Christ. He is wisdom. And he's got a banquet for his bride that he has set in glory. And he says, come, feast upon me by faith. And Jesus has sent out messengers, just like Lady Wisdom did, to come to the feast. There's a parable in Luke 14. and goes like this. A man once gave a banquet and invited many, and then many made excuses. So the master said to his servants, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And it goes on to say that there's still room. So then the master says, well, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. That's, what, that's what's happening right now. That as as God's word goes out here and in gospel preaching churches throughout the world, there's a call to hear wisdom, to hear the truths of God's word, to, to see the beauty of Christ in all of his glory, and to see the fact that he has worked hard. Just as Lady Wisdom worked hard and prepared this meal, Christ has labored on our behalf and has now presented a finished meal for us to receive by faith. Oh, come, he says. Do not scoff at wisdom. See Christ, savor Christ, trust in Christ, delight in Him. But in order to do that, Jesus, just as Lady Wisdom, requires us to turn from folly in order to follow Him. Mark chapter 1, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God means God's rule God's rule, it's it's at hand in Christ himself because he is the Lord of glory. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, turn, and believe in the gospel. The very ministry of Jesus is a fulfillment of Lady Wisdom's cry here. Jesus is the incarnation of wisdom. He calls, come, trust in me, follow my way. Because it's the way, the truth, and the life. None come to the Father but through me. Now, while Lady Wisdom cries out as fulfilled in Christ, there is another voice that cries out, Lady Folly. Now, Lady Folly is the manifestation of sin, as it were, of of the world's wisdom. And she's presented here in Proverbs chapter 9 as, as being a rebellious woman. One who is seductive and lazy and lying. And she speaks words that, are, that sound good, but that are deceitful and lead to death. Look again at verse 13. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She is a loud mouth boaster. She's pictured here as as proud and and, and pompous. She's seductive. Now, last week we we looked at Proverbs chapter 5 and 7 and saw the the seductive woman and talked about particular temptations toward uh, toward sexual sin. If you weren't here for that, I encourage you to to, to check that out. But, But Lady Folly here is... She's of the same type. She's seductive. She's deceitfully wrapping lies with a, with a wrapping paper that promises pleasure. She, she, she thinks she's wise, but she's not. She's among those in Romans chapter 1 who are professing to be wise become fools. Now, again, I want to be, be really clear. Being a fool does not mean that someone is unintelligent there's a great difference here so you can be a brilliant fool to be a fool means that you disregard the reality that God is God and that he rules the world and that every single decision that we make every thought every motive every word should be lived in such a way that it brings him pleasure and that his pleasure is chief over everything else in life. That the first question that we ask is, does it please God? Does it show God to be true? If that's not what guards whatever we're doing, then it's characterized as as foolish, as dismissive of reality. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now I want us to be careful here because it is also the fool who can say that there is a God but doesn't live as if there were one. We talked about practical atheism last week and that is that's in play here as well. But this is what she does. She calls people away from wisdom to What a stark contrast here between Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly, right? So Lady Folly is parked on her seat, whereas Lady Wisdom is preparing this feast, right? Lady, Lady Folly is, is lazy, but just because she's lazy does not mean that she's harmless. And the picture of laziness, I think, is supposed to show a laziness of heart toward God that there's no appetite to get up and do what wisdom would do. There's there's no need for that. There's an easier, more broad way to walk on. Why strive so hard against sin? She's not harmless. She calls out from the highest places, just like Lady Wisdom. She's here competing with the voice of truth. And for, for those of us who are who are Christians, we, we know this day in and day out where we know wisdom from above and truth from God's word but we hear all these other messages that sound so compelling the danger here is that Folly often poses as true wisdom that's what she's doing, she's acting just like Lady Wisdom, sitting in the same spot she's loud she wants everyone to hear her. She's the one who, who turns heads, who grabs the headlines, who poses as popular opinion. You've got to know this is the way Lady Folly is. It's the one that everybody's like, yeah, that's right, that's right, and the crowd chases after it. But what Solomon's saying to us and as God is saying to us through the Holy Spirit is, the wise person, Discerns messages, listens, isn't so quick to respond, doesn't post right back on Facebook, doesn't tweet all kinds of responses right away what you're thinking, doesn't just shoot off at the mouth, doesn't just make decisions rashly, but rather pauses and listens and considers. So, shy before you go, I just want to thank you for your example in contemplation. Sometimes too slow a contemplation, but <laughs> contemplation nonetheless. It's challenged me, because I tend to be hasty and make quick decisions. I hope that doesn't leave, so thank you for your example in that. Speed it up sometimes, though. But, <laughs> <laughs> but wisdom here, wisdom shows itself in Checking to make sure there's no poison before you eat. Making sure there's nothing in the bottom of the glass before you drink. Because this water is stolen, and it's sweet, but poison can be sweet at first. Antifreeze, if you drink it, which we encourage not to. tastes sweet, from what I've heard. It will kill you if you drink it. That's how Lady Folly is. Again, do not drink antifreeze, please. But Lady Folly is like that. Verse 17, stolen water is sweet, bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Come on, that, that narrow way, it's so narrow, so hard. Why are you going to go through all of that when you can just have it this way? Why are you going to stay in that hard marriage? All your friends are right. Listen to them. Just go do what makes you happy. Why are you going to keep fighting against that that sin, or whatever you call it? Just be who you are. Just give in. Why all this work about thinking what your true identity is in Christ? Just, Just go with what seems natural to you. Lady Folly always poses his wisdom. Promising the easier way. To follow the popular path of doing what feels good. Taking the shortcut to pleasure. But you've got to remember, that is the same thing that Satan has always done. It's what he tempted Jesus with in in the wilderness when he promised him that if he would just bow down and worship him, that Satan would give Jesus the crown without what? Without the cross. And if Jesus would have taken that, Everyone would go to hell. Jesus, though, is the incarnation of wisdom. He does not go after stolen, secret bread. He is wise, and he shows us what it means to follow him. Her way sounds good, but it's a trap. Verse 18, he, meaning the person who's listening, does not know that the dead are there, that her guests, Lady Follies, are in the depths of Sheol, the grave. If you dwell in her house, you will die. He says, my sons, be careful. There is, there is poison in her food, and there, is, there are bodies in the basement. Don't go in her house. If you look at the pictures on her wall, you will see the lives that she has ruined. You will see the marriages she has cratered, the hearts she has broken. And in her guest book is the role of hell. Do not follow her way. It's just a lie. Lady Wisdom calls you to consider the end of your actions. Where does the path you are on lead? Whereas Lady Folly says, only consider the moment. Jesus would say it this way. Matthew chapter 7, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. To whom do you give ear? Wisdom or folly? Well, between these two voices is the listener. The listener. Your third and final point. Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly, the listener. Solomon's sons stand between these two voices Lady Wisdom, God's wisdom as fulfilled in Jesus, and Lady Folly, the world's wisdom as personified Satan, sin. His sons had to choose who they were going to listen to, and so do do we. As we're going to see here in these verses, there's basically two responses. There's the scoffer, and then there's the wise man, wise woman. The scoffer and the wise. Look again at verse 7. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The scoffer and the wise man. The scoffer, again, is one who has no appetite to learn. You might be a scoffer if, if when someone seeks to correct you, your first response is defensiveness. To make excuses for why you're doing what you're doing rather than, than listening. Scoffing might characterize your heart if, if you find it so much easier to point out the failings of others when correction is coming rather than being humble and hearing and sifting through even, even, the, even the, what, what may seem like the most off-the-wall or unfair critique that may be coming at you. You don't sift for any truth in there. You just want to be dismissive and assume everybody else has it wrong. And notice the words that are associated with the scoffer. Abuse, injure, hate, those are strong words. Then on the other hand, we have the wise, one who is humble. You might have a wise heart if you are characterized by knowing that you need wisdom, having an ever abiding awareness that you need help, that you need help from God and his word and you need help from God and his people. That you long to have people speak into your lives? And certainly there's, there's a, a fearful insecurity that can, be, that can be wrong as well, but we're talking about a basic posture of saying, I need help. Sifting through unfair criticism, hoping to find a scrap of truth because you want to grow. This person is, they said, when you reprove, he will love you. So when someone corrects you, at first it's going to sting. Nobody likes being corrected, as it were. But but after that sting, you're thankful for that person. You become still wiser and increase in learning. Salvation itself is rooted in receiving this kind of rebuke, isn't it? Jesus doesn't come in and be like, oh, snap, look, that person is amazing. Let's give that person salvation. It's not how it works at all. Jesus is not amazed with us, okay? He loves, but he is not amazed at our wisdom and how we've got it all together. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus is perfect and we are not. The fact is that all of us, we have all gone to Lady folly. Every single one of us has gone into her house time and again and lived by her way. And what that does is it incurs judgment from the God of glory, the King of of wisdom, because we've dismissed him and said, no, I want to do what I want to do. And what that does is that puts all of us in a place of needing the correction of the gospel. So if you're not a Christian this morning, we're really thankful that you're here. We think there's no better place for you to be than in a place where you're going to hear truth about God and his world. And we are not people who have it all together. Believe me, a bunch of messed up people in this room, including me. We are all But in order to not be a fool, what it requires of us is to say that God is right and that we are wrong. Salvation itself begins with God's grace opening our heart to see that we were rebels and that we need a Savior. And this idea of Jesus dying on a cross for sinners and rising from the dead and giving forgiveness to people who will surrender, who will repent and turn to him, The world sees that as foolishness. So if you see that as foolishness, there are many who will agree with you. But God himself says he set it up that way so that on that day no one would boast and no one would get glory but him. So I would encourage you to remember that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Surrender unto him. And there is personal benefit in this. Verse 12, if you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. In this life and on the final day of judgment, we will each reap what we sow in regards to how we have responded to God's gracious wisdom. Now, finally, if you are a Christian, I want to encourage us this way as the listener. We don't graduate from needing to listen to wisdom when we become Christians, right? We never graduate from humility. We can be dangerously deceived by my pride. So I would ask you, Christian, how do you respond to correction and rebuke? Do you seek it out, or are you surrounded with people who don't feel permission to challenge you? I want to encourage you today to ask, if you're married, to ask your spouse. Pray about it before you ask. Say, Lord, prepare my heart. And go to your spouse and say, Honey, not right this minute. But sometime later on today, I want us to sit down, or later this week, maybe give some more time, more time for you to pray, um, (laughs) and say, I, I want to talk about what we heard in the sermon today. And I want to know whether you think I receive rebuke well. Do I receive correction, or am I foolish? Or if you're not married, do the same thing with a good friend. And tell them, I give you permission to say anything you think I need to hear. And don't be up in line and bite them when they do, okay? This is for your good. Do you have those kind of people around you? Young people, children. How do you respond to correction? How do you respond to authority? Plead with God to give you a humble spirit. Ask your parents. Ask your teachers, whether you're marked by humility or by pride. Ask God to give you grace. And how do you respond to the correction and the rebuke of God's word? Does God, does pride keep you from God's word? And, and do you, because you realize, right, that if, you, if we're not going to the scriptures and in prayer, the only reason we don't is because of pride. thinking that we've, we, got it, we can figure this out in our own wisdom. And, or, here's another trick, I think particularly that might mark this church. For those of us who are Christians, we would, we would affirm that God's word is true, but do you think God's word is good? Do, do you picture his wisdom that comes like that banquet that was set before you, as being good? the pathway to true joy I think many of us are tempted to think that God's right but that he really doesn't have what's best for us in mind you've got to remember that, that that's one of Lady Folly's tricks is to tempt you to think that God's ways are not good and that his word is not sufficient and you need to look elsewhere that was the first temptation in the garden God's holding out on you because remember the lady folly is here calling out to those who pass by, those who are going on the straight way. And sometimes it's seductive, like carbon monoxide, or it just comes in, we don't notice. And other times it's loud and abusive. Christians, I want us to remember this. There's a warning here about what happens when you preach the gospel to scoffers. But in a day where we suspect that laws will change and public opinion will continue to change and will continue to mock the gospel. We must be a people who are willing to endure the scoffing and the mocking that comes. And we must be willing to proclaim the gospel no matter what it costs. Because it's true and glorious. And God is worthy of us risking our lives for Him him who gave his life for us. So there are two ways that lie before us this morning. Lady Wisdom, which leads to life, or Lady Folly, who leads to death. And the question I pray that we will consider is to whom are you listening? In which way are you walking? Father in heaven, we come this morning and we pray that you might create in us a heart that longs for wisdom. That we would, by your Holy Spirit and through conversations with other believers, that we might see folly in our lives. That you would show us ways that we are resistant to truth. Ways that we dismiss your word. Oh God, help us to not be above correction. But Father, help us to humble ourselves before your mighty throne of wisdom and to cling to Christ and his word. Father, as we consider Jesus and the great grace that you have shown us now as we take the Lord's Supper, we pray that you might use these tangible reminders of mercy to point us to our need for you. We thank you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Uh, there we, there we go, there we go. Okay. Garrett just said that in his sermon that the wise are characterized by an ever-abiding.